Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. We're tuning in to Buy Nobody's Podcast. How you doing, Jen? No, really, though. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm doing, doing well. good. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad retrograde's over shit. Oh, yeah. We're going <laughs> to, I'm totally glad the retrograde is over. But you know what? Today's a different day. You know why, Jen? And I'm really excited about this. We have a brother. We have a we brother do. on the podcast today, Jen. And I'm feeling all these it. feelings. And you know what? I'm, I'm accepting those feelings. You know why? Because I'm a man seeking to embody his divine masculinity at all times. Okay. <laughs> So everybody gather around, gather around, everybody in the back, bring your camping chairs, portable heaters, your ukuleles and your animal onesies. Gather around this blazing campfire that doesn't exist except for in our hearts. So friends, (laughs) friends of the Divine Nobody's podcast, the great search for brotherly life has ended. Today we have found divine masculine energy, Jen. I don't know a lot, so I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So our guest today is an intuitive business coach and entrepreneur. His main focus is coaching individuals in the remembering of their soul's purpose and how to access their own intuitive gifts while starting and scaling businesses from their hearts. Outside of his coaching business, he founded Black Sheep Masterminds, in-person events and experiences for entrepreneurs who don't follow the flock. And also, he's the co-creator of the Six Figure Wolfpack. Anything with the name Wolfpack in it just obviously has to be good, right, Jen? Because we talk about the Wolfpack all the time. Yeah. And that is an online mastermind program. He's held director positions in large tech firms. He's meditated in the mountains of India. God damn. I know, this guy's done everything. (laughs) Yeah, everything. And he's trained with teachers like, check this out, Jen, Tony Robbins, Aubrey Marcus, and Connor You know, Aubrey Marcus is kind of my dream weaver. Oh, yeah. We we listen to his podcast all the time, right? And Tony Robbins. When he's yeah. not working with a client, you can usually find him diving deeper into his own work and awakening via writing, meditation, and plant medicine. So with that said, friends, it has been prophesized long ago that one day a brother would come to our podcast, <laughs> traveling with great speed amongst the clouds of our lightning-fast Wi-Fi connection and gracing us with a message of love, understanding, peace, and courage. So friends of the Divine Nobody's podcast family, we have a brother, and that brother is Alexander Ohm. How you doing, Alexander? I am excellent. Thank you so much, Eric and Jen, for having me. And um, there's there's nothing more special than some brothers and sisters getting together <laughs> to to dive deep around the metaphoric campfire. And uh, yeah, couldn't <laughs> be more happy to be here. And um, yeah, just before we dive in, special shout out to my my partner Grace, who made the connection. And yeah, you, you all did an amazing. Um, podcast together and I'm just yeah so stoked to see what uh, what we get up to so obsessed with grace love her yeah yeah we had Me such too. a great episode anybody that's listening she was on the last episode that we had where we had a guest she mm-hmm. talked about a lot of really amazing things including embodying her divine feminine self his name came up on the podcast and we absolutely had to have him in yeah. to get his perspective on this work as well so it's a blessing to have you with us brother today I did want to ask you one question though did Tony Robbins make you walk on hot coal yeah, uh, several times, actually. <laughs> you did. <laughs> what is that like? It was interesting, but not what I thought. You know, you hear things like jumping out of airplanes and walking across hot coals, and it sounds very extreme, 
but in that environment, everyone's doing it. You're so pumped up and he, he gives you these, these mental tools to get in the right mindset, to be able to essentially do anything. And, and the whole idea is overcoming a fear and seeing yourself doing it, seeing your brothers and your sisters doing it alongside of you. And, and it feels amazing um, on the other side. And believe it or not, yeah, you don't feel anything on your feet. Wow. I've never yeah, walked across hot coals, but I have jumped out of planes and it's not that bad. Oh, Jen has like over 6,000 jumps, right? Jen likes to jump <laughs> out of planes. Many, it's one of her yeah. things. <laughs> not that many, but yeah, a lot. Yeah, she hangs out in the firmament. So we have a lot of we have a lot of ground to cover. Alexander, you're a man of, of many, many talents, and we want to try and get into each one of those accordingly. We're going to be talking about divine uh, masculinity, which is men's work that you're really, really grounded in, as well as um, sacred unions and relationships. And also wanted to ask you about your coaching business. But before getting started with all of this, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? What got you into this work? Yeah, it's it was an interesting journey because it started out pretty typical. Went to business school, got a really good job, got promotions in that job, got the company car, the bonus was traveling around. Everyone seemed impressed by my, my title. It was actually, you know, on the outside, looked to be a pretty bright time for me, but then I would go home, you know, after a day full of sales meetings and after maybe one, one too many beers and just sit at home alone and not feel great. It was, you know, kind of dark here and there. And, and so that was kind of confusing because everything that I was told to find success, to find happiness, I did, and I didn't find it. So that left me in a space of, of curiosity, of wondering. And at that time, actually a big catalyst for me was listening to, to podcasts as I was driving around. Uh, I was living in Toronto at the time, so I was commuting hours and hours and hours in traffic. Yeah, it was actually probably Tim Ferriss, his podcast, that sparked some something inside of me because he was talking about business and being successful but then he talked about you know using mushrooms and plant medicine and meditation and, and cold plunges and so that really started something inside of me where i saw that there was there was another possibility yeah after reading his book which i bought after listening to his podcasts i went into work gave my resignation a lot of my friends and family were kind of confused but that's where I, I headed straight to India after that. I felt like I need to go do something for someone else because I've been living pretty much through my ego the past two or three years. And so that's what led me to India. Then I just got dropped in the middle of a, a beautiful energy bomb. Yeah, the, the vibration was completely different there. And instantly I knew that I was operating before under the idea that the way that we lived in the West is the way to live, the best way. And then I landed in India and I said, oh, it's just a way to live. It's not the best way. It's not the right way. And this way that they're living over here is really interesting to me. And I'm really intrigued by the fact that there was a lot of beautiful people that I met that didn't have a lot, but they had a big smile on their face and their hearts were wide open. And they were talking about beautiful experiences they had communicating with different deities and gods and energies. Yeah, so that, that was kind of what led me down the rabbit hole. That's what, it's a really interesting thing. And you hear that a lot about when it comes to uh, people visiting India. I've read a lot of literature about Eastern masters and, and uh, a lot of them come from places like Hardwar India or uh, True Anomaly India, like Suramana Maharshi. And they talk about like India being like the richest, poorest country in the world because they don't have a whole lot, but there's this happiness and this, this love that they all as a community embody that you don't maybe tend to find here in the West. That's a really beautiful thing to be able and share that warmth with people because that kind of works in direct contradiction to kind of 
how things seem out here. It's almost like in the West, it's like you have to have all of this abundance in order to be happy. But you have all these people over here in the East that don't really have a whole lot of money, but they're still making it work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that contrast was, was a beautiful thing to, to see that maybe they didn't have a lot of abundance as far as what was in their bank account, but they were living and breathing in abundance as far as, you know, I was living in a small village um, for the two months that I was there. Yeah, that, that experience just completely transformed the way that I saw the world and I couldn't see it the old way after that. Did you yeah, have trouble with think. like reintegrating back into the sort of uh, American way or just the way that obviously that's in contrast to India? Did you have trouble reintegrating back into regular life after you came back from that space? I remember getting to the airport and my, my dad was picking me up and I think I left clean shaven and I came back with a big beard and my hair was a little bit longer and I had mala beads around my neck and a new tattoo. And so... <laughs> Full new look, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, my dad was, you know, kind of you know, very happy to see me, but, you know, maybe a little unsure of, of what I look like or maybe even what I smelled like. And um, and then just, you know, going right into Toronto to the, the big highways. Yeah, that was a little weird at first, but I mostly was kind of, I was prepared for, for that contrast. And I was really excited at the prospect of, of keeping some of the energy of the experiences or habits or ideas from India and bringing them back to my life over here. So I already kind of thought about that before coming back. Yeah. yeah. So was your family supportive of your trip to India and coming back and the changes that you were making in your life? Yeah. Or I was there like a lot of confusion? <laughs> they were confused. Um, they, yeah, they were confused, but supportive. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I I think I was really really blessed, um, especially in, in my father. He just you know, he's, whatever makes you happy, you know. And he really wanted me to have a solid background. Of he said, you know, it's very important to go to university. And then you know the way that he grew up is we'll get a good job and make sure it has good benefits, and also see if it can get a lot of time off so you can go and and do what you really love, um, which is just the model that he grew up in. So I think he was confused and also maybe a little excited that, hey, I'm, I'm doing something in a different way. And it's amazing to see, you know, as we start to talk about the divine masculine is that he has really embodied a lot of the things that I started to explore, um, like meditation, uh, you know, rapid, rapid learning of, of some of these, these different areas or concepts, plant medicines. Um, so that's been really cool to see the shift in him as well. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So speaking of the divine uh, masculine, it's it's a really amazing gift to have the opportunity to speak with a fellow brother in our community. And this is for the same reasons that Grace kind of talked about in her episode when she referred to the sisterhood wound and how women fear interacting with each other. And I think the same is true when it comes to men. Men have this same wound and it seems to manifest through things like competition, judgment, violence, all, this, all the ways in which she talked about as well. And so it's a gift to meet uh kind of a fellow brother in the softer space of spirituality. Because when we have a dialogue, uh, well, we get the opportunity to have a dialogue that may, men don't, don't often get to have, and that's about feelings, and it's about spirit. So why do you think there is this disconnect and this distrust men have for each other? And why are men's groups and you know, men's work uh, so important for, for us to tap into that, that side of us, that divine masculine side? Yeah, I... I've thought about this a lot, and, and I believe probably a lot of the distrust or the the cautious energy that, that men might have towards each other likely stems from past lifetimes or history where primarily men were used as frontline infantry or frontline troops or 
you know, whatever, in all the wars that are, were, were fought. So it's not to say that, that women haven't had, you know, horrible experiences in the past and, and there's casualties from conflicts in war, but I think primarily men were the, the front pawn pieces um, that were taken out of their villages and, you know, a sword or a spear in your hand and say, okay, you have a, a brother, he's from a different country, now you have to go kill him. Um, everything about him is evil and you can't trust him and he's trying to trick you and he's trying to come and, and kill your family. We've had thousands of years of those experiences and it's really starting to shift and change now but I think that's probably an underlining energy especially when it comes to the physical aspect of do I feel safe around a man um, and can I trust him around my my loved ones and my family so that is why men's work is so important because men seem to have these shells they're walking around with this hard exterior and in the men's work containers or circles you have the opportunity as as men witness other men take off those shells and see what's underneath, it gives them permission to do the same thing. And when a bunch of men get together and do that, and you know they open up their hearts together, you see real magic happen really quickly. And this was my experience anyways, is all of a sudden there's a new hope for the future that you know all the ways that I, I witnessed men growing up in, in media or on the news where they're, they're getting into fights or they're starting wars. You see this other side of men that's soft and strong at the same time. And you know that you know, they would do anything for each other. They would do anything for, for their partners, for their family, for their communities. Yeah, there's, there's so much available to us through men's circles, men containers, uh, men's work. And I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. That's really, really beautiful. And I totally agree with that. I mean, and, um, you know, Grace actually pointed to the possibility of the trauma that women experience coming from like the Salem witch trials or some type of conflict like that. You know, I had this uh, a few different experiences on plant medicine in the past where I would just end up staring at myself in the mirror for like 10, 20 minutes, maybe even an hour. And I saw myself as this like Aztec warrior. And when I looked into my eyes, I saw the trauma and the pain of all these different various lives that I've ever been through. And it was really difficult to look into my own eyes because I felt the suffering that I went through because of war. That is something that I'm still kind of digging into, but I can see how that connection takes place. I always had this fascination with war since I was young, even though I have, I have no affinity to it whatsoever. Like I'm not somebody that gravitates towards actively wanting to go to war, but there's some familiarity that I have with it. And also too, uh, with my ancestors and things like that, I've, I've heard of you know different wars that that tribe or that lineage had gone through. And I can't help but feel that maybe that's where some of the anxiety or the trauma that I held with me as I grew up came from. So it's an interesting thing to consider that as a possibility. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you've mentioned that experience too of staring in the mirror and staring yourself in the face and the eyes. Um, because A, that's one of the first things that I would get men to do in circle is to stand across another man and just stare into their eyes and just hold space and um, you know, revert from your normal patterns of maybe laughing or you know, shrugging off or breaking eye contact. Just hold eye contact with them, hold space and see them. And just that alone, you'll see men break into tears or they'll just completely transform in front of your eyes. The other reason that it's interesting that you bring that up is uh, I had a very similar experience uh, in, in a plant medicine journey. And I was you know, in the mirror, my experience was a, a Native American chief of some kind, you know, big headdress. And this wave of reverence and respect and power just washed over me to see that in some capacity, energetically or in a past lifetime, that that archetype exists within me or is available to me. So that, yeah, that's cool that you, uh, that you brought that up. 
Yeah. And I have a very similar perspective when it comes to men's groups. I mean, I, I, we talk about this on the podcast a lot. I would grew up around a lot of women and I was also grew up very wounded by my father who was, you know, a masculine man. So I had this disconnect between that side of me for a long time. And so I treaded more into the sort of like this softer space that was more female. And I had this, I wouldn't maybe call it a fear, but this uncomfortable feeling when it came to being around men. And then when I found out about Groups like Sacred Sons, which you're probably familiar with, attended a few of their groups, even some of their calls. And, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it's so surprising when you're amongst these brothers sharing emotions that typically you don't share uh, in regular everyday life. It creates an entirely new sort of environment for you, this sort of softer space. And you can call it really large percent of it is maybe like a, a balanced sort of masculine feminine energy kind of working in collaboration with each other. But it was such a beautiful feeling to be amongst men that were sharing space and being attentive and being being there for you, you know? Yeah, yeah and, and I love that you mentioned your experience growing up, you're around a lot of females or feminine energy, which is actually a very typical experience for, you know, a, a young boy or man now in the West because we're born and then typically our fathers go to work uh, if they're there and then we're, we're at home with our mother, right? And so that's the majority of our time is spent with our mother and you know as a young boy we're looking to you know hopefully do things that doesn't upset our, our mother we're taught to be a good boy to not get into trouble to not you know make a mess and then we go to school and all of the elementary grades are typically taught by teachers that are females you know once in a while you have a kindergarten teacher or a grade one teacher that's a, that's a man but that's not really typical and so up until the age of eight, nine, 10, 11, we're typically surrounded by feminine energy and we're typically in an environment where we're trying to behave or appease them in some way. That results in kind of a, a disconnect from, from the masculine and also in, in interact in a way of interacting with the feminine that might be actually very confusing to them once we grow up and, and become men and we're looking to attract them as partners. And now we're just, being very nice and trying to appease them all the time. And that's where you, you, you'll hear that. Um, it's not really an, a correct statement, but you know, women love you know, the bad guy or the jerk. Or, um, and I think what that comes down to is they, they enjoy seeing the masculine edge come out where the feminine energy is so prevalent. Yeah. And I think that wounded women really love bad boys, you know, <laughs> so there that's kind of goes both ways. I used to be that girl, so I know. <laughs> yeah, and I used to be that nice guy, too. You talked about both of us, Jen. We've been on both sides of that fence and yeah. experienced uh, what that dynamic is like. And that's been like a, a teaching for both, I think, me and Jen, because I've known her for a really long time and she's known me. So we both tend to uh, consult with each other. and We've been friends for a long time. I help her more with the feminine energy and she helps me more with like the, the masculine energy. So yeah. it's an interesting thing how that that whole thing works out. So from your perspective, though, what do you what do you think is uh, sort of the issue? Because right now it seems like that sort of toxic masculinity is a thing that you hear a lot about. Not even just hear about if you're oh somebody that's immersed into spirituality, you've watched programs, you can't help but feel based off of how media sexualizes women or the violence that you see on television, that there's a form of toxic masculinity that is kind of pervasive and embodying a large part of our culture. Why do you think that that is and what can people do in order to sort of diffuse that and bring us back into maybe like a form of balance? The, the root cause of the underlying issue, I don't know if I could pinpoint that, but 
what I have experienced in men's work is that when men feel safe with other men, they instantly transform into this different version of themselves, which is really excited to change in a positive way. When we don't have those support systems where, you know, it happens usually with maybe younger men, uh, if they don't have strong masculine figures in their life, they never really learn that. They never learn that they should be in, in, a, in a group of men learning from them, sharing experiences. You know, if, if you went back four or 500 years ago, if you're a young boy growing up, you're instantly thrust into the world of masculinity because you're probably working with your father in his business or you're helping one of the other uh, business owners in the town and, and you're constantly around older men. So I think this stems from you know, a lack of masculine leadership in young men's lives. And in, in regards to working with you know, quote unquote, toxic masculinity. You know, if we can get men in, in a space where they feel safe to open up their hearts, any of those elements that, that might have been perceived as toxic, they can wash away. And also that, that idea that, that men are inherently maybe very close to that edge of toxicity, that you're, you're one step away from being a toxic uh, man. You know, maybe holding space in, in a different way in the next couple years, the next couple decades of saying, you know, we understand that men have done horrible, horrible things in the past, but that doesn't have to be you. That doesn't have to be your story anymore. We can paint a new picture, a new story for men and for the divine masculine. And, and for me, that really starts with personal accountability, taking you know, accountability for your own experience and, and operating in integrity of saying, you know, I'm what I say and what I think I'm, I'm going to uphold. And people are going to learn that they can trust me and I'm going to learn that I can trust myself. You had this really great video on IG about how it's in our nature as humans to evolve. You talked about the world around us evolving, things in life constantly changing, and uh, that it's our job to not follow a path so closely related to what has already been done through our lineage. And uh, this is really powerful because this calls for a certain responsibility that I think we need to take over our own evolution, that maybe we shouldn't become stagnant in repetition and things like that. Can you talk about why it's important to embody your own change and uh, your own evolution and why repetition seems to kind of keep us from our own growth? Yeah, I, um, one, of, one of my favorite books talks about this, this concept and it's the Celestine Prophecy that you know, a soul might choose an experience based off of the parents or the caregivers that are in that experience because they are going to present the opportunity to learn the lessons that we're meant to learn. So I really believe that, that each of us has this soul's purpose, this lesson that we're meant to learn, this peace that we're meant to give to humanity. When I connect with that, my whole world lights up, things just start to happen. And when I forget that that might be a part of my experience, everything falls flat. And, and I've seen the same thing with clients and with other people. So. It's just been true in my experience that, that a natural growth or evolution is really, really important to me in, in my experience. I, you know, Tony Robbins says, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I don't necessarily fully agree with that statement, but, but progress is, an, is another quote that he might have, is progress equals happiness. And so when we are moving in a direction where there is the possibility of change, something ignites in us. And that is that is so powerful. It has the power is the power to to do to do anything, I believe. 
in ourselves with other people. That's why you know, Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, is so popular, I believe, because there's this new possibility that is not the same as the past. And that just clicks something inside of our, of our soul, of our heart. Um, and so it just seems to be hardwired into our energetic experience. Yeah, yeah I find I, that to be true, like personally, you know, um, anytime I'm feeling like really stagnant in my life and my job or, you know, even in like my practice, like my morning meditation or whatever. And I feel like, oh, you know, I don't really want to do that. Like there, there has to be some kind of forward progress. You have to have something that you're, you're actively working for. At least for me, like I, I need that motivation. I need something to wake up for progress and change or progress on my, on whatever project I'm working on or whether it's like at work or an art project or whatever. So just real life applicable example. Yeah. And, and, and change, and it makes me think of like uh, this, what Krishnamurti, there's a, an author, Judy Krishnamurti that I really, really enjoy. And he talks about repetition. It's like, as, as long as we're repeating, we're repeating something that's already happened, something that exists within the realm of conditioning, within the realm of time. And that ceases to be creative. And that's the one beautiful thing that I love about spirituality is it's one of those things that sort of calls us, calls for us to evolve and constantly evolve. And maybe perhaps that's the reason why maybe like the, you know, the Christian church seems to be hitting a wall because they are so set on not evolving and moving with the times. Mm -hmm. And we look at everything else around us, including nature, everything else, anything that we see in nature evolves and changes. But for whatever reason, people have this belief that, you know, we shouldn't evolve, that we should remain the same. And it's crazy to see that everything around us in nature sort of teaches us that change is something inherent and constant. But a lot of people have a lot of fear around it, you know? Why do you think people, like, fear change so much? It's unpredictable. It's the unknown. I think this is something that Joe Dispenza talks about quite a bit. This is something that Grace and I are studying right now. But if you're creating from a familiar past, you can only expect very, very similar results. That's just kind of how it works. And so that's safe. You know, if you go back to our, our basic, you know, fight or flight mechanisms, that's predictable, that's safe. We know that if we're creating from a familiar past that we're not creating any saber-toothed tigers that are going to, you know, jump out and attack us. If we are creating a brand new future, which is unknown to us, that could, that could result in so many amazing things. New sources of food, new, new opportunities for our species. But... There is the small possibility, because it is unknown, that something in that experience could be dangerous. And that's the leap of faith, I think, that we're all called to take, is to say, okay, we know what's going to happen here. We know what this looks like, the repetition of the familiar past, and adventure or exploring new areas is another thing that's hardwired into us, spiritually, physically. Um, we are explorers. Not everyone puts their hand up to go onto the into the boat across the ocean to the new world. But those people that have that courage in their heart, and they say, "I know it's an unknown, and I know it could be dangerous, but I am far more connected to the possibility of amazingness." There, those are the people that create real change. And I think, you know, the two of you would connect with the term light workers. I think a lot of light workers have that inherent spark of courage. They say, I know some things are unknown here, and I know that's kind of scary, but that change is part of my destiny. That's what my soul is here to do. So despite the little fear that I'm feeling right now, I'm going to do it anyways, because I know I'm, I'm called to it. And I know ultimately that I am safe, that I am cared for, that really, truly, at the end of the day, nothing could happen to me that's quote unquote bad. 
Yeah. Change is inevitable though. You know, I find change to be fun, but that's the only constant in life is that it's always going to change. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is forever, you know, um, no matter what it is. But I love Joe Dispenza. He's one of my favorites. I've read all of his books and I love his teachings. Um, but it, it's pretty interesting. People who are, you know, go to work, come home, cook dinner, go to bed, go to work, come home, cook dinner, go to bed. Um, he he has like a real life example that I think is, it, it's a small step, you know, to getting used to change and kind of rewiring your brain. He was like, well, maybe you take one way to work every day, maybe change your route and, and take a different route to work that day. And just by doing that one small thing, it opens, opens you up to new possibilities, that one thing. And it's so minor, right? I, I love that example too, because when I you know, previously had a job where I had to drive every day, it would be on the weekend and I'm trying to go somewhere else. And all of a sudden I take the on-ramp that leads to my work. And that was like, oh, wow, that those subconscious patterns are always running. I did that mm-hmm. automatically. I did not think of that. What else is happening automatically or subconsciously? Yeah, and it's in breaking those subconscious patterns that that real change, you know, getting conscious mm-hmm. to to our traumas, to our pain points, to these I like like the, the loops, right? That are that are running in our experience. If we can get conscious to them, we have the opportunity to maybe break it and then change and evolve. It makes me think of this uh, quote by Osho that I talk about all the time because it's, it's exactly what you're talking about, which is courage is a love affair with the unknown. And you'd have to take a lot of courage in there because you know it's an unknown space, but all the probability and all the potentiality exists within that space of just being in the present moment. This almost like what you're talking about almost seems like this, this call for us to move away from the sort of primitive instinctual sides of our humanness and evolving and accelerating into our spiritual selves, right? Because you're talking about if we're long as we're operating from, I imagine the ego, which is an instinctual sort of function, we're always going to be looking for that saber toothed tiger operating from fear. But it's like when, at least from my experience, when we start opening up to love and we start, you know, seeing that as our active reality, that, ser- that fear sort of diminishes. You're thinking about things like being eternal. You're thinking about the, the divinity of God. And all of a sudden you're in this, you go from this scary space into this space where you feel completely taken care of and completely supported. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful kind of perspective to have when you elevate to that level. But that's what it reminds me of is, is dropping from your, your ego into your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking yeah. of change, moving from Canada to Mexico, like, so what sparked that? What sparked that? Like, that's a huge change. And that's a scary, like, life change. Oh, yeah. It's a scary life change. Uh, it's kind of like walking across the hot coals that it felt scary at first, but once we started doing it and did it. It wasn't that scary. But last winter, we decided to come down for a month and just get away. And when we came down, all the flights got canceled. And so, hey, I guess we were staying a little bit longer. And we ended up staying in Mexico for three months. And so we really got a sense of what it was like to be here. And so after that, we went to Costa Rica, then we spent some time in LA, and then we eventually drove back to Canada. And so we were back in Canada, and you know we have a lot of amazing friends and family there, but as soon as we got back into Canada, we just didn't feel quite right. Um, nothing was inherently wrong, and things were typically going well, but we just didn't feel quite right. And that's, that's kind of a hard thing to describe to people, but we, we actually, um, Grace and I share a coach. And so she's an intuitive coach. She's the one that, that's, um, you know, helped me with a lot of my intuitive practices. And what she was telling us is that you can go anywhere in the world. You two can go anywhere in the world. You're going to find success, 
But at this moment right now, Mexico is a better vibrational match for you and what you're the work that you're meant to be doing. So that really helped me wrap my head around this concept of, okay, we're gonna move to Mexico and also changing the language around it for myself and for other people is we're just doing it right now. Mm -hmm. It's for right now, it's for the next little while and the world is changing so rapidly that who knows what the future holds, but this is just for right now and it feels really good and we love being here. So that's, that's really helped me of thinking about, you know, the vibration, the energy of Puerto Vallarta, of Mexico, it just fully feels in alignment to us. And it's like sinking into the tub that's the perfect temperature. You know, you could, you could get in if it was a little hotter or if it was a little colder, but that perfect temperature tub, you're like, oh, okay, this is where I want to be right now. This is, this is where I can have my best bath. Yeah, absolutely. I love that's that. A, that sounds like a really, really good change. And I wanted to ask you a, a question exactly about following your passions because you talk really openly about this, which is really inspiring. So there seems to be this sort of collective fear that people have in pursuing what they're passionate about. Because if it were up to most people, I think they would choose to monetize their life around more creative endeavors, such as, you know, what you're doing, stuff that we do. Um, but there's a sort of a socially acceptable illusion people have that they can't make a living doing these things, especially when it's something that doesn't just go along the sort of path that maybe Western society has drawn for us. What can people do to change this narrative and uh, maybe start thinking about their passions in a different way? Yeah, one, one concept that really helped me was the whole idea of, of mortality that, you know, really getting connected to our own death. And I think that I had this amazing blessing earlier in my life that I didn't see as a blessing at the time, but when I was 10 years old, my mom passed away. And so here I was, you know, after that 11, 12, 13 years old, and everyone's telling me, well, you got to get a job and then you can save a little bit off each paycheck. And then you're going to you know, wait until you're 60 years old, 65 years old, and then at that time, hopefully you'll have enough, then you can retire and you can do what you love. And I just witnessed as a, you know, a, a young child seeing that, oh, well, my, my mom didn't make it to retirement age. So if she wasn't doing what she loved, then that whole time, her whole life experience was for a time that never came. And so I think, I think that's something that really, you know, people can start to think about is, you know, even though we are eternal beings in this human experience right now that's say you know I like to think about all the stuff that we're doing I'm really open to living past you know my 90s but let's just say it's I live into my 90s and then you backtrack just like well how many years do I have left okay well how many months is that how many weeks how many days how many hours and once I you know put that number in front of people and say well okay you have this much time left to play into experience here how do you want to spend it and all of a sudden, I can usually see in people's eyes something changes a little bit. And that opens up a door for them to say, okay, well, maybe I don't have to wait to bring my passion to life. And then the more clients I work with, they do a whole range of, of things. Um, one of my recent clients, he just started a, a podcast production company. Another one's a hypnotherapist. Um, another one is a painter. Another one's a photographer. So I have all these people that do all these different things that when I talk to someone and say, look at all these people, that they had jobs and now they're doing what they love. And yeah, it's not always easy, but it's so worth it because it's what you're meant to do. And um, so that's, that's really, really helped me of, you know, it seems a little dark at first, but you know, thinking about your own mortality that, hey, you know, there's, the, there's an hourglass and it's flipped over and there's only so many grains of sand. 
So what do you want to do with those grains of sand? It's totally, yeah. totally true. Like when I think about how people normally look at money, because people have, uh, I guess, more commonly unhealthy relationships with money, but that whole narrative of like, oh, you have to constantly save for a retirement that you're never going to be able to appreciate. It's almost like this feeling of fear, like somehow time's running out. And I used to be one of those people. I used to be like really, really weird and, and had an unhealthy relationship to money because the way that I grew up was very poor. So I started operating as if somehow I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it uh, for long periods of time. And after a certain period of time, now being in my 30s, you know, that, that fear and that, that trouble never came into my field. And I started thinking to myself, like, why should I operate from this way? Started becoming more present with the experiences that I have in front of me. And um, it's a really empowering feeling to just live in the moment and to embody more of what's in your moment, like what you're talking about, you know, but it takes a lot of courage because a lot of people are afraid of that. Yeah, it does. It takes a ton of courage. My grandma always said, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And it's so true. It's, it's because it's hard, you know, and that you have to challenge yourself. You have to try, you know, if you want to achieve, if you want to achieve that blissful type of happiness and don't waste your life, you know, working a nine to five job that you hate. And I'm speaking totally from experience, right? Because I've been working a nine to five job that, um, not necessarily that I hated, but just uh, wasn't aligned with me for, for almost my entire career. Right. So it wasn't until really recently that, uh, I took kind of a leap of faith and switched careers and, um, went to a startup and, you know, I'm doing really the work that I've always wanted to do. And it was really scary, you know, taking a pay cut and moving and doing all these other things, but, but you got to take the chance, right? Jen, Jen worked in pharmaceuticals for uh, many, many years. And now she made this huge transition. She works at field trip, which is a psychedelic therapy for uh, ketamine. Which- coincidentally is a Toronto based company. And I was just in Toronto last week. So for the very first time. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So exciting um, to make that switch. You know, I think we probably all share the same, same mindset about, about the powers of plant medicine, the possibility, um, and also the potentially unhealthy reliance that we have on pharmaceuticals in this yeah. world. So just, you know, Jen, you doing that switch in your life, and your friends and your family seeing what you did and you taking that little risk and, and watching the fulfillment that comes through that experience, that's how it happens. That's mm-hmm. how there's these little shifts that you know, maybe yeah. two or three of your friends, they're going to think differently now. And, and the happier that you are, the more fulfilled you are in doing what you love, it's a, mm-hmm. it just ripples out. I love that whole concept of the law of one. You know, as yeah. I think about all the time, oh, I need to reach millions and millions and millions of people. It's like, well, what if, you know, Eric, Jen and I right now, we just have a really powerful conversation and we plant a bunch of seeds and maybe this, in, this conversation impacts millions. I mean, a podcast helps with that, but uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. amazing that you're doing yeah. that. I really applaud you for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't easy for sure. And actually what really motivated me to do this was Joe Dispenza. Um, so, and becoming supernatural, there's an exercise in there about how to manifest a new career. So, um, so I did the exercise, um, in November of 2020. And then as this job came around, it just kind of fell in my lap. So, um, it, it was something that I clearly manifested. It was something that I was meditating on and, you know, really trying to bring into my life. So, so yeah, I totally, it wasn't me. It was totally just divinely guided in spirit that brought this job to me. So, and, and I even noticed a change in her. 
You know, there mm-hmm. was a, there was some fear that came up because you're going from doing something for so long the way that you know how to do it, and uh, everything is worked into that. Your experience, finance, finances, all that stuff. But the one thing that I did notice about Jen is once she made that transition and she started getting more into that work, did just there's this grace and this beauty that just came upon you, Jen. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice. Yeah, I don't. I think it's lack of sleep. Uh, this <laughs> job is very, very fucking stressful, and it's twice as much work as my old job, and less money, but totally worth it. Hey, it's but crazy. you're making an impact, though. You're making yeah. an impact, Jen. Yeah. So, yeah, so, there you go. so, Alexander, you you had mentioned in a quote, and I couldn't help but notice this. It really stuck out for me because I never heard it before. You mentioned a quote in your writing by Dr. Wayne Dyer, and I love, I love and that Eric you shared that. Loves quotes, so yeah. if he didn't hear this quote, this. <laughs> This is yeah. a good one. And, and you mentioned in your writing, which, by the way, you're really, really beautiful writer, really, really powerful uh, stuff. You should write a book. Thank I'm you, sure brother. you're already working on that. But thank the you. quote is, when you are feeling good, you are feeling God. Mm. It's oh, one of the, the shortest quotes that I've ever heard. But I'm like, I heard that. And hey. I was like, damn. <laughs> when you are feeling good, you are feeling God. And this is such a subtle yet powerful statement about the nature of human beings and the role we play. Can you talk a little bit about uh, more about what that quote means to you? Yeah, uh, we've talked a little bit about money, so we can tie in abundance here as well, is that I think and believe, and at least in my experience, but I believe it's true for other people, that our whole, our whole purpose here is to come and to be in a state that is aligned with the divine, which is, you know, humans might say, well, I feel really good today. I feel really good. I feel really aligned. I feel in my body. I feel I feel inspired. Um, I'm feeling like I'm following my intuition. And when you feel aligned, when you're in your body, when your energy is balanced, when you are experiencing all those emotions that everyone talks about of like joy and excitement and adventure, that really feels like to me the divine speaking to you, the divine working through you, and you moving closer to a state of being connected with the divine. Um, there's a book that I'm reading right now by Jan Price. Uh, I can't remember the title, but it's, it's about her experience of um, she had a heart attack and she died for a few minutes and then she came back. So she's interviewed all these people that had these near-death experiences. And it's very similar stories over and over and over again. They go, there's the tunnel, they go towards the light, and then they're on this other side. And they have these different interactions with 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 guides, with past uh, friends and family members, and the common message over and over again is that you're supposed to go back there and just feel really good. Just do whatever you can to feel love, to feel peace, to feel joy. That's literally your job on earth. Go back and do that and, and give yourself full permission to do that. And one other person that I really, uh, really enjoy their work um, is uh, Esther Hicks or Abraham Hicks. Uh, and, and I love how she, he talks about the uh, vibrational scale of emotions, right? And so down at the bottom, you're depressed, you're completely blue and dark. And at the top, it's pure, you know, abundance, joy and bliss. And I notice in myself that when I'm, on, I'm lower on that scale and I make a conscious effort to raise up, that maybe I'm depressed so, so I get angry a little bit and then I'm frustrated and then I'm just content and then maybe I'm, yeah, I get up to happy. When I go through that process, miracles happen in my life. 
when I consciously push myself into a higher vibrational state, experience higher emotions, I experience the divine in, in my experience. I love how you mentioned like yeah. being, because it's like one of those things that just comes naturally to us as human beings, but I think maybe it's a Western sort of form of conditioning to feel as though we have to really, really struggle and suffer and kind of beat our own asses in order to be able to be happy and live the life that we want. Yeah. But you're talking about just embodying that beingness, it reminds me of a quote, and I'm going to read a couple more of these. <laughs> Tell I, us I more. Tell these. us about this quote. quote. <laughs> he has a really powerful quote. I'm not going to call it a quote, but it's just more of a writing that he had on his IG. And uh, I'm going to read it off here, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. And it says, uh, the place where your energy meets the divine is where miracles occur. The fact is, this is happening all the time. However, we are often not conscious of these events taking place. The less awareness we have to the miracle of our world and universe, the less we will attract and enjoy. Your job as a human, as a spirit, is to simply be. Be your fullest, your truest self. You said your job as a human is to simply be. Now, someone not as familiar with, let's just say, the spiritual context of this quote may interpret this as maybe somewhat of a paradox. It's as if to say to just chill, do nothing, somehow remain stagnant. You know, But in the spiritual context, there seems to be more of a meaningful action behind your words. What are some ways that people can proactively be themselves in the way that you're talking about. I think this leads into the idea of listening to your heart or listening to your intuition and following that. That is when I am being is when I'm listening to my guidance. And that guidance might might lead me to sit and meditate for 30, 40, 50 minutes on end. Or it might lead me down the street with my camera in my hand and I don't know why. But I'm not in the future and I'm not in the past. I'm not anxious or I'm not depressed. I'm just in this present moment listening to the guidance that I'm getting and surrendering to it. I think surrender is probably a pretty powerful word there um, in regards to being, as you're surrendering to the experience. You're surrendering to the environment. Um, you're going with the flow. You're not fighting. You're not fighting anything. So it doesn't mean that you're simply just sitting on a cushion and, and just meditating all day. Uh, which is still being, but being to me is is being present, is being aware of of the language or the the conversation that the universe is having with you and, and speaking back in real time. Absolutely love that. That's awesome. And, and I wanted to kind of move this into the direction of kind of what you do with your coaching, because this is a, a teaching for a lot of people, especially in the professional and the work environment, which is, you know, teaching somebody that maybe works for a tech company the art of being. One thing you talk about in your work, which is it's, it's important to believe in your own inherent ability to make an impact. And in the same way, how important it is to believe and love the people that you work with, right? So imagine the people that you're, um, you're coaching are trying to launch businesses that involve probably managing other people, employees, that whole realm. Can you talk about, um, and this is, this is one of the things that I feel like the professional world, I think, leaves leaves out, which is how important it is to love the people that you work with. Like, you know what I mean? So can you talk about why it's so important to not only love what you do, but to love the people that you work with? I believe that people are the, the main method of, of communication with the higher, with the divine. You know, there, there can be little synchronicities that happen where, you know, it's cloudy out and you look up and the sun side suddenly breaks through or you're walking down the street and a feather drops down. That happens all the time. And those can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But typically, if you're having a intuitive experience or, or if you're really being aligned in yourself, is that you're having really powerful experiences with other humans. And when you pick a direction for your business, let's say, 
Say, okay, I'm gonna make a offering or a product or a service for a group of people. You're saying that, hey, I wanna spend countless hundreds, maybe thousands of hours with these people. And so I, I think a lot about strengths and weaknesses in a business and, and redefining what that even means. So strengths are things that give you energy in your body. And weaknesses are things that literally make you weaker. So for me, when I'm talking, when I'm coaching, when I'm writing, it's a strength. I feel more energy in my body, in my mind, in my soul. And when I'm in a spreadsheet, when I'm going into finance, I can do it, but that's typically gonna make me feel a little bit more tired, feel a little weaker. So when you're choosing who you're working with, who you're surrounding yourself with, the company, the coworkers, the clients, if those people don't give you energy, you're signing up for a life of depletion. You're signing up to be tired every single day. And when I'm tired, it's harder for me to be intuitive. When I'm tired, it's harder for me to be inspired. Um, when I don't have my energy available to me, I feel like the world isn't available to me. So I think that that little, it's, it seems like a small decision at the time of who do I want to work with? What company do I want to be at? Who do I want to hire to be my partner in my business? Any of these ideas. It's so, so important because it's going to dictate how you feel on 10.35 a.m. on a Tuesday, mm -hmm. right? Are you gonna be you know, at the office humming away and you're sipping your coffee and you're just loving life or are you gonna be looking at your clock and going, when is lunch coming? And those are just yeah. like two very different worlds, two very different experiences and, and we have the ability to choose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've been involved in multiple businesses and the businesses that were successful were the ones that um, I really had a passion for. Starting a business um, to make money or because you feel like it's a like going to be a good money-making idea is never the right way to choose because those businesses always fail. I mean, running your own business is tough. It's hard and you have to have like a fire burning inside to make it work. I had, I had a question for you because I, I was reading on, um, I don't know where I read this, I think maybe on your bio, that you coach people to remember their soul's purpose and access intuitive gifts. How do you do that without giving away your course, right? Like in, <laughs> in, in, you know, a uh, hundred words or less, like how do you coach people <laughs> to do that? Yeah. So I think it, it starts with, let's, let's talk about intuition first is, is tuning into their experience. So right now we're all sitting here and we are talking and we're listening to each other. We're not fully, fully present into our bodily experience. So I might ask, you know, Eric or yourself, Jen, you know, how are you feeling right now? Like, What's the cadence of your breath? How fast is your heart beating? What do your shoulders feel like? Is there tension in there? Is there energy? And so just starting to play around with the experience of your body and seeing what different things remind you of. And you're like, oh yeah, my shoulders and neck are kind of tight right now. And I'm like, well, okay, well, when your shoulders and neck are tight, what's usually happening? It's like, oh, I'm not getting as much sleep because work is super stressful and that's where you might hold it. And so it's starting to understand how your body, how energy speaks to you and it doesn't have to be, you know, receiving these messages from your guides on a, a golden script of saying that my great ancestor says that I need to quit this job right now. Um, it's it's tuning into your energy. Great if that happened. Yeah, you know, I'm open to that. But mostly, what people are open to is because you know sometimes you have to start higher on the, you know, let's say the metaphoric funnel, if, if down at the bottom we're talking about spirit guides and, and you know, reincarnation, at the top, most people are comfortable with saying, hey, do you ever get like a weird feeling in your gut? You're like, yeah. It's like you're making a decision and did you ever have that feeling and make the decision and it didn't turn out great? They're like, yeah. Like, okay, cool, we can start with that. 
So now we're starting to understand their language of maybe how their body speaks to them. Uh, the coach that the Grace and I work with, her name is Dr. Divi, and she's amazing. She used, uh, she's still a, a, um, an MD, a doctor, but she uses her intuitive gifts to figure out different experiences people might be having in their body, what that means. So an injury in your left knee, left side of your body being the feminine, knee being where you balance, typically in relationships, it's like, well, how's your relationship going with the feminine in your life, right? With your partner, with your mother, whatever it is. And so starting with intuition is getting them familiar with, hey, how is your body communicating with you? And how do you typically make decisions based off of your body? And I would probably give someone a really, really high level intro into, into intuition of saying that we all receive information in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So some people see things, right? They're clairvoyant. Some people hear things, clear audience. Some people feel things in their body. They physically feel it. Some people have this deep knowing, clear cognizance. And so it's just starting really high level of saying we can do all of these things, but just like some people are right-handed instead of left-handed, I can use my left hand, but I prefer my right. Each of us have a way of receiving information. So that's how we start at a really high level of playing with intuition. As far as discovering what your, your purpose is, what your heart's calling is, feels like the biggest question in the world, which is essentially to you, what's the meaning of life? Um, but where we can start is, well, what do you love to do, right? If, if I had a magic wand, right, and anything is available to us, and I could wave it, Jen, you know, next week, if we have all the time, all the money, all the resources, what are we doing? How are we spending our time? And I love to build from that place because usually that's when our heart will speak up. I'm saying, oh, okay, we don't have to worry about money or time or anything. Okay, I'm, I'm ready to talk. Or mm -hmm. we go back to your childhood. I was like, what did you love to do when you were a child? And say, well, I used to love to just run through the forest and get lost in nature and look at the little um, sparkles of dew uh, on leaves. It's like, oh, w would you like to do that right now? Would, maybe you would love to be a wildlife photographer, you know, and go look at, look at plant life again. So there's these little clues that our heart leads us. Um, and one other element that, that I do go into is what was your experience as a child? Like, what did your parents do? And if we can zoom out saying, if they were learning a lesson for us collectively in the universe, what might that lesson be? And so I usually give people the example, my own example, which I can do really quickly. My mother was a nurse. She loved what she did. She was super, super giving. She helped so many people. I watched her save someone right in front of me in a car accident. And she, she gave, we didn't walk past a single person on the street that was experiencing homelessness without giving them money. And she helped so many people, but she forgot to help herself. She didn't take care of herself. And I learned that lesson so beautifully early on that, wow, I, before I help other people, I need to help and, and care for myself. But she also, she did what she loved and she really, and she taught me how to, to really help and maybe heal people, right? And so then my father um, was this, you know, amazing stability in my life and he did this job that he didn't really love or like for 30 years and it was stable and it put food on the table and I'm so grateful for that but he would rush out of that place um, at night or on the weekends to do what he really loved and his passion which he loves fishing and being in the outdoors and now he's go he's going to retire and he's going to start a fishing business which is amazing yeah, but that's that, awesome. that shit yeah I got to see him be a completely different person on the weekend. Yeah. His energy changed, his mannerisms changed. And so 
I, I took my mom's experience of saying, wow, I, I see the benefit of really helping people, maybe healing them, guiding them in some way, but also doing that for myself first. And then I looked at what my dad did and said, well, he showed me that it's so important to do what you love. And yes, there is some stability in that job, but I also see that there's an opportunity to do what you love and maybe create an amazing life from that. And I've kind of taken those two experiences and combined them together. Oh, this is maybe what my lesson might be, is taking those two and putting together, maybe I'm here to learn that for myself. Can I do that for myself? And also, can I inspire other people to do it? So these are all clues that we might be able to stitch together, taking the whole experience, throwing it at the wall, and then looking together, you know, me and the client, or you know, me and, and the two of you, and we look at it and say, well, what do we see? What patterns do we see? What, what's exciting here? And that's, that starts us off on a journey. Absolutely. I love some of the advice that you gave on your page about starting your own business because uh, this is a huge guru misinformation um, to quit your job and, and jump, you know, straight into the out of the frying pan and into the fire. Right. Um, and I feel like that's terrible advice. <laughs> There's so much stress that comes along with not having an income and okay, what the hell am I going to do? And businesses, small businesses, it takes a while to get them off the ground. It doesn't happen immediately. Um, it does for some people, but that's a very, very, very small percentage. So, um, I liked your advice that, that you gave not to, not to quit your job to maybe ease into it. Cause what's the hurry? I mean, if this is something that is aligned to you and is going to work eventually, what's, what's the hurry? Why do you need to quit your job? Like right away and, and risk having all that stress. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I really encourage people to do that if they can. It, you can use your job to fund your business, mm -hmm. essentially. Right. You can get paid You can get paid to start your business. And there's, there's a lot of amazing opportunities that come with that. I always have to add the caveat that I didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, yeah. So I know that once in a while, some people, they're just so fed up or they're just so inspired that they just have to jump off the diving board. And that's okay, too. You're going to be caught and you're always going to be okay. But if you can, because as you mentioned, it's really hard. There's, you can't really sugarcoat it too much. It is hard to do your own thing, to be an entrepreneur. And also on the, every, on the other side of that, it's everything that you've ever wanted. And mm -hmm. if you can make that transition a little bit smoother, then yeah, give yourself that gift. Yeah, why not? It's such yeah. like a refreshing perspective to have because from what I'm hearing, this kind of speaks to evolution in the workplace and in our professional lives, which is to bring spirituality into the field of money, right? Mm -hmm. Into the field of this big, powerful machine that kind of moderates our world. And I wanted to ask you about this because this is a question that come up for me and Jen a lot of the time, and I'd like to know your perspective on this. The one question that always comes up when it comes to monetizing spirituality, and I ask this because I myself have experienced this dilemma with my sound healing and my Reiki practice. And this is a question of how money and spirituality can play within the same field when money uh, has been at the root of a lot of suffering, right, in, in people's lives. And because of this, a lot of people have unhealthy relationships to money, especially in the spiritual community. So can you talk about how wellness, spiritual wellness services and money can coexist without it being perceived as like a negative thing? What are some things that you can provide as far as advice on how to connect those two? Mm, yeah, this is literally comes up with every single <laughs> business that is you know has some sort of element of spirituality or giving or doing good you know i've had people that are offering amazing transformative experiences to people and charging twenty dollars an hour and that's not a bad thing per se but when we go into the details we'll actually notice that we're doing a disservice to the client and to the business owner 
in that capacity. So I'll come, come back to that in a second. I think the first thing that we have to maybe realize or play around with is that money is just energy. Money, like before it was even just like, oh, it's just, this is just a piece of paper and some little pieces of metal. Then it was like, oh, it's just a number on a computer. It's just money. And I really love the work of uh, John Randolph Price where he just talks about how God or infinite intelligence or the universe is abundance. That, that's inherently, that's what it is. It's just pure abundance. The sun comes out every day and, and, and warms the earth. And that's abundance. And so if we can start to say maybe, maybe money is an evil, right? If we can get into that space, then we can start to play around with the practicality of, of how this works. So one phrase that I'll use quite often is if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. And so I have this program called the Intuitive Business Starter Pack, and there's been about 60 people that have gone through it. Out of the 60 people, 59 of them have started a new business and got their first customer, which for me is like the tick of success, what I'm striving for. So 59 out of 60, that's amazing. What happened to that one person? Well, they were my friend and they were going through a difficult time. They had a lot of debt and I said, hey, you know what? Let me just give it to you for free. Let me give you the, the course for free. I'll coach you for free. And so they, they didn't pay anything. And when it came time to, to show up and say, hey, you know, we have this coaching session. Oh, sorry, I'm busy. I had to take this shift at work. And, and so they're the one person that didn't pay attention. They didn't have any skin in the game, which was really interesting. And, and so once I start to go into these practicalities of, okay, hey, you want to help people, right? Yeah, yeah, of course, I want to help people. Awesome. So if money is just energy and we want to have this big experience, this big transformation for your client where you're healing them, you're helping them with sound, you're helping them with your hands, whatever the case may be, we want to use a lot of energy to do that. We're like, yeah. And so why wouldn't we use more energy in the healing equation to drive the outcome that we want, as long as it is driving that outcome, right? So if I continually raise my coaching prices and my clients get better and better and better experiences and I feel better and better and better about myself, I feel like I'm showing up as a better coach, they're getting better results as a client, I should just keep following that pattern. You know, if, if that wasn't happening, then you maybe have to change some things there. But in my experience, raising your prices as a spiritual or as an intuitive entrepreneur is the most powerful thing that you can do. The one thing that's always gonna come up is, well, if I raise my prices, then there's going to be a whole group of people where it's not going to be affordable to them. What I say to that is, well, when you're first starting out and you need to get to a certain level of abundance so you can take care of yourself, your bills are paid and you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're checking off the bottom of the, of the pyramid. You need to do that for yourself. You need to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. So if by charging higher prices you can get there faster, I think that's awesome. Now eventually, what I tell people and what my intention is, is as I offer services that cost more, I'm looking for ways that I can make my, my, my information or my services accessible to a whole wide range of people. So just like Jen read um, Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, Becoming Supernatural, that probably costs you know, $15, $20 and there's amazing transformations available to that. Grace and I are going to his uh, retreat in Cancun in early oh, December. Oh, you are? And Shit. <laughs> I am so jealous. I, oh, man. Yeah. Ah. Okay. That's going to cost You're going to have to tell me about it. We're going to bring you back. For yeah. Us. And there's always like a million-year wait list to, to go to one of these. So how long did... Okay, first of all, let's start from the beginning. How long did you wait to get into this course? 
So this was one of these weird, divinely orchestrated things that um, and I looked online and he's like, oh, we, he only had two events. One was like in Turkey, one was in London. I was like, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? Right? I get it. It's the pandemic. And then I was talking to one of my business partners and um, he said, you know, it'd be amazing if we went to a Joe Dispenza event. I was like, yeah, I know that would be too bad. He's like, yeah, I, I checked as well. There's no events. And so we went on his website and we're looking around. It's like, oh, wait a minute. There's one here at sea in Mexico all of a sudden. And it, it opens up in like a week. And we had no, I don't, I don't get his emails or anything. I had no idea about it. And so figured it out, asked Grace. She was excited. My business partner is also going to come. And we got our stuff together. Morning of, it opened up. We went on the first minute. We signed up and we had a couple other friends that wanted to go and they were like a minute and a half later and it was all full. Yeah, we were definitely meant to go. Um, oh man. We yeah, have to bring so you guys back after you go. I, I want to hear all about it, about the experience. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited yeah. for you guys. And we're also going doing a 10 day Vipassana retreat right before the Joe Dispenza event. Oh wow, intense. So, yeah, we're going in deep. Yeah, so you, that's for sure. One thing you mentioned, what you were talking about that I thought it was interesting and actually was able to observe in your work, which you, you talk about, you make a distinction between abundance work versus manifestation work. Can you tell us a little bit more about what abundance work is? I know that a lot of people are familiar with the, the manifestation piece, but how is that different? Yeah, I, I guess they're, um, they're best friends. They're, they're brothers, they're sisters. And, and one, one can lead to the other. But for me, abundance is not necessarily driving an outcome it's more relating back to what we're talking about a state of being and right and so when you're in a state of abundance that creates the conditions for for rapid manifestation but abundance um you know in, through some of the studying that i've been doing and through my experiences that i've been having i'm starting to realize that it's just this in, inherent part this inherent quality of the universe that this is kind of like you know, if some people said, you know, what is God or what is infinite intelligence? That is abundance, right? And so being connected into that state and, and being in that state, for me, it really feels like that's what I'm aiming for each day when I wake up is to be connected to abundance, to be uh, abundant in my energy, be abundant in my thoughts, be abundant in my relationships, uh, you know, monetary matters as well. Whereas manifestation is a lot more of a, 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 a practice where there's, you know, um, through Abraham Hicks's work, there'd be five steps to it. And there's a desired outcome and you're going to focus and put energy towards that versus abundance is, is a state of being or maybe you could even say, uh, which would sound kind of douchey, but it's a lifestyle. I love what you were talking about before about money being energy. And that's like a really, really um, good perspective um, to have because I think that changes kind of your relationship to everything. I had a few people, and I'm not anything like a like a coach in the way that you are, but I, I read Marianne Williamson's Law of Divine Compensation, and she kind of touches on this a lot, which is whenever we think of money, a lot of us think of money as a sort of like inanimate object that has its own life, and it breathes air, and it survives, and it lives, and it gets to decide who gets it. But the one thing that I feel like um, people miss is that money is moderated by people. You know, money, money is moderated, moderated by living human beings. And uh, one thing that I love that she shared, which is like, if you want to make more money and you want to, you know, manifest more of that abundance, you have to change your relationship, not only to money, but to people, because if they're going to be people that are helping you along your journey. So yeah, that's like a really powerful thing. And I started looking at it that way. I'm like, yeah, just to 
embody sort of like that loving aspect of you. It's almost like all you need is one person to just believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. and, and develop relationships with other people in order to be able to collaborate and I imagine like bring more of that wealth into your life, you know? I love that, Eric. And, and I love bringing the human element into money because one question or exercise that I get a lot of clients to do is I say, okay, imagine money is a person. Describe your relationship to them. And, you know, oftentimes they're like, well, I, I, I feel like they're not around enough. And when they are around, I'd never want them to leave. And I say, like, okay, so anxious attachment style. Okay. But like you start to describe this relationship with money as if it was a person. And I would say, does that person want to hang out with you? Does that person want to spend more time with you? And in most cases, it's like, well, if I was that person, I'd be running the other way. And I love humanizing or giving money a character. And, and once we start to see it in that way, we might realize that we've been treating money in, a, in an unfair way, really. If, it, if it's just this energy and we've been blaming it for a lot of things and we have been giving it scarce energy. And if we can humanize it, if we can realize that it's just part of the, you know, the bigger energetic web or field, and realize that that we do have the power to interact with it from our heart at a human level, I think everything changes. It's like a mm-hmm. physical manifestation of, of our energy. It's like a little, it's like a symbol of everything that we invest in ourselves. You know what I mean? It's, it's a really interesting thing. But I, I, I love that. I've always like wondered about the sort of like spiritual monetary side because when I used to do sound baths, I did notice that when I did sound baths that were free, for example, people would come, but it wouldn't be like a reoccurring thing. I noticed that when I started actually charging for these sound baths that people started uh, appreciating it a bit more. It felt like it created more of an impact for them. And I had some reluctance to do that because, you know, especially as like a Reiki healer or a sound bath practitioner, the one thing that you're thinking about is helping people and healing people and the people that you're helping and healing are sometimes at the very, very, very bottom, not doing really well in their life. And that sometimes equates to them not being able to afford these type of services. So I've had to like consider those two things and find like a good balance, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it, it is so hard. And, um, and one thing that, that I play around with a lot, and so you could do this as a coach or as a, you know, someone that's, that's a sound healer is I would ask someone, like, hey, you know, do you want me to coach you? Like, yeah, that'd be amazing. Thank you, Alexander. Like, awesome. So do you want me to show up as a $1 coach or as a $2,000 coach? Pick which one. And they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, which coach would you rather have? $1 coach or $2,000 coach? How do you want me to show up? And they're like, is that what I'm paying? Or forget what you're paying. Just I want you to pick which one you want me to show up as first. And so they're always going to pick the $2,000 coach or the $5,000 coach or whatever it is. And so there's, there's an interesting thing that happens of when we start to value ourselves more, I think it opens up our, our capacity to step into our highest self and to, and to really serve. And the more we can channel that abundance, I think the more opportunities we can make for people that are at all levels of the spectrum. Um, but it is, it is so hard. And yeah, Eric, it, it pretty much comes up with every single person that I work with. And just, I want to move it um, into the talk on some sacred unions and sacred relationships because we had the privilege of talking to Grace, which is your partner. And she spoke very, very highly of you. Very yeah, much so. She thinks and you're okay. 
Yeah, <laughs> you're okay. I love the yeah, synergy so. that they have together when it comes to their IG and the work that they share. They're very supportive of each other. They just have this really beautiful harmony. And I'd really do also love your your perspective on conscious relationships. In your work, you talk a lot about the extent in which we show up for our partners being directly correlated to how we show up for ourselves. And I know that you mentioned a little bit about this a little earlier. And this is um, kind of a curious perspective because many people will take sort of sort of like an opposing route when it comes to how they go about this. When you think of how to make their partners happy, they'll think of uh, maybe several more obvious ways like doing nice things for them or buying them nice things, complimenting them, you know, maybe things that fall within that sort of realm of the five love languages, you know, and, and it seems to be more about giving. And so can you talk a little bit more about why loving yourself is the most powerful of these, these aspects and how that sort of dynamic flows between you and your partner? Yeah, it's you know a, a dance that I've still been learning and, and you know, trying to perfect myself. But when we are are giving constantly to another, it doesn't have to be a partner either. It can be a friend. We're giving, giving, giving. What can happen is that we might find ourselves in a state of depletion, or we might find ourselves in a state of expectation. Now, these are both things that we can control because all of us know that we have infinite energy available to us. And also, we don't have to create an expectation when we give. We can do that without it. But a lot of times in a relationship or in a friendship, that can occur. And if I'm showing up and I feel depleted or I feel like I'm not receiving as much as I'm, I'm getting back, that's when things can, can go off the rails really quickly. That's just hard to keep that in a sustainable way in the long term. It's just like this crazy balancing act. Where it's like, well, you did these three things for me, so I got to do these four things for you. And that's, I think, how most relationships, you know, at least at a subconscious level, are operating. Whereas, if you can have two people that commit to showing up as their best self, and that means taking care of themselves first in order to show up in, in, in the container as the best version so they can, you know, they, they have a full bucket that they can be, can be giving and loving all the time. If you do that, it's always within your own control. Always within your own control, and it's never about what is Grace doing? Oh, she didn't do this, didn't do that. It's it's up to me. It's it's going back to that word of you know taking accountability for my own experience. And when both people feel in charge of their own experience or in power of their own experience, and and no one else can can change that, no one else can influence it. The, the power dynamic in a couple completely changes. And I'm no longer reliant on her for anything, really. I'm my own person. A really hard thing for us to wrap our head around, but something that our coach has been helping us with, is that, yes, we, we believe that we're you know, divinely orchestrated, and we found each other, and we're going to be together forever. At the same time, all we know is this present moment and that we're together today and we love each other today and tomorrow is a mystery. And our job is to continue to keep showing up as our best selves and keep choosing ourselves first and then choosing each other next. And if we can keep doing that, then the dance keeps continuing on. And I think that breaks down along the way if you're not filling up your own cup first. That makes a lot of sense. I've, I've never heard anybody say it quite like that, um, but that makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. And, and I love that. And we talk a lot of, to a lot of, um, you know, female energy, divine feminine individuals that come on to the, the podcast and talk about relationships. 
uh, we seldom, you know, get the perspective uh, from a man. And I wanted to ask you about this too, because there's a lot of confusion that men typically tend to encounter when it comes to maybe situations where there's conflict with their partners. How can men better show up or embody more of their divine masculinity when it comes to these really maybe heated situations or when conflict arises? What would be, I guess, some core principles that we can practice? And I'm talking about for me as well. What can we practice with our partners whenever we run into these these really tough situations as men? I think the most important or powerful thing is taking the lead on establishing a common framework for resolving issues and a common language that you can share between the two of you before conflict even happens. Now, uh, this can this could be the masculine or the feminine that initiates this, but if it's not set yet, going into the container and saying, hey, eventually we're gonna have friction, we're gonna have conflict. Have you learned any ways to go about that? I've, I've learned this, maybe we could learn this thing together, and then you find a way to dance. And it's not gonna be perfect, it's gonna be far from it, but you're gonna have some sort of framework to follow. And then also having a common language, right? So Grace and I, if, if, if we're in a, we call it like a growth session, um, instead of a fight, there's words that we can use with each other that bring us back to these core principles that we've already agreed upon when we weren't in a, in a heated state. For example, integrity, the word integrity. You know, Grace can, can tell me like, well, I did this because it felt like it was keeping me in integrity at that time. And I can instantly know a little bit about what her experience is at that moment. So that's kind of the first thing is before a conflict happens. But okay, so now a conflict has happened and we're in the heat of it. I really love the idea or the analogy of the man being the mountain or the island and the feminine being the water that's swirling around. And typically in a, um, let's say a conflict is that the feminine is gonna be swirling. The energy is gonna be moving and it should be. That's how she's, that's where she gets a lot of her power from. My advice to men, only from my own experience, is you can really tap into that energy of the mountain. You can think about the mountain has those deep, deep roots into the earth and is immovable. And it's not that you're going to be unmovable in your stance or in your perspective, but in your energy to be able to hold ground and to hold space for the, for the, for the chaos or the storm of the feminine to exist, to not divert, to not run away, to not fold under pressure is something that's really hard to do. But just to, to stand in your energy and your ground and to hold the energy of the container hold the foundation for the feminine to flow and to experience the full range of her emotions. That doesn't mean that we're not going to experience our emotions, but I think in that heated state, the most effective way to find understanding is, is to hold that grounded state. And perhaps the, this is what's been recommended to me. It's what's worked for me is that if I'm heated, I go away from the conflict of the argument and I gather myself, I understand myself. I ground myself, and then I come back and I can com communicate it in a grounded, let's say, masculine energy state. And it seems to be that Grace or uh, a female friend could, could receive that a lot better than if I was flowing in chaotic just like they are. That makes sense. So I, I was watching your IG, and you have a section that says Twin Flame, and of course it's all Grace, right? Um, which was beautiful. Um, this is like a pretty common term that is kind of tossed around in the community. And I, I think kind of tossed around in a way that is a little irresponsible. 
Um, so you hear like twin flame all the time, but what is, whenever you met Grace, like what were the signs that this was your twin flame? Like, how did you know? Yeah, I think the first thing to approach or identify is, is twin flame is a term that connects you to an idea or an energy that is probably slightly different for everyone, just like the term starseed. It's going to be a little different for each person. And I think that's okay. Um, as long as they can tap into their own experience and it's authentic. So for Grace and I, when we started to connect with this term twin flame was through a lot of the remembrance of like when we first met each other, it was essentially kind of like our first date. It was like a first date. There was this flood of remembrance that, oh my God, I've been looking for you forever and that you're the one and we've been doing this dance for more than this lifetime. So that's really hard to explain to people logically. Mm -hmm. um, but we've done things like Akashic readings and you know, these meditations together. And we've just had this, this feeling, at least this feeling of remembrance, if not actual remembrance, of, of past experiences where we've been learning similar lessons that have been doing similar dances. Um, another really interesting element to the twin flame concept is, is the actual word of twin. Grace and I, in our energy, in our movements, in our likes and dislikes, there's a lot of mirrored things that are almost like comical at time of how similar they are. And then what we started to realize in other people, to see in other, other couples um, that had these really deep, intimate, conscious relationships, is that they had all of these mirrored, they almost sometimes like oddly looked like each other. Maybe they kind of moved, they had the same energy, the same you know, cadence of life, the same vibration. And so I think that's a big part of the idea of a twin flame is, is there's, there's a lot of mirrored energy. There's a lot of mirrored likes, dislikes, values. And one thing that weirds out some people, but it, it is a, a conversation that I would get into sometimes is there is also this feeling that you're in this conscious relationship and you are definitely in a romantic relationship, but you can almost remember such an innate deep bond that it was like what it was like to maybe be even like a brother and a sister in a past life of like mm -hmm. to be in the womb together is also maybe metaphoric for how, you know, our souls were in a similar experience in, in the great unknown. And then they chose to manifest um, here on earth. And, and maybe there, there's some sort of uh, metaphors or connections in that, that wherever we came from, we, were, we came from a similar space. And that, that can get into the concept or ideas of coming from the same planet and starseeds and that whole fun conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a deep rabbit hole, uh, that's for sure, and gets tossed around all the time. What I say to people is, if, if it's authentic, if you mean it, if, if you can find value and purpose in the term, then, then yeah, explore it and play, and play with it. So how did you guys meet? I'm just curious. I don't think we asked her. Yeah, it's, it's actually like a pretty interesting story. It was, it was very nonchalant at first. So we knew some of the same people in, in the community. Um, some of my good friends were photographers and she's done some modeling. So it was kind of through the creative community that we knew of each other hadn't met each other. So I had a really, really powerful uh, plant medicine experience with two of my brothers. And I went on social media. I think I made a story about it. And it was quite profound, but I was struggling to find clarity or meaning in it. And I think she responded to the story of just like, oh, I have to, I have to talk to you. Do you want to talk right now? This was at, I think, like 8 in the morning. 
and um, I was just starting a new business. So I was like on my routine. I was like in the masculine, you know, just like yeah. go, 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 structure, structure. And she's like, yeah, eight in the morning. Do you want to have a phone call? You want to talk about this? You're like, not so really. She, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to finish my coffee. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she was pretty convincing. So we got on a call. And, um, and she's pretty beautiful. I mean. And I, she's pretty beautiful. Yeah. So that helps. <laughs> so that helps. And, and on this call, it was like I hadn't really experienced too much of it before. But it was like she channeled something where she was just talking super fast, nonstop, and it all made sense directly to my experience that I had with plant medicine, which was mind-blowing in itself. And then that, that was kind of it. She's like, all right, talk to you later. Bye. And yeah, and I was like, what was that? And then she sent me a song after that as well that kind of correlated with the conversation. So I was sitting in my backyard, it was super sunny out, and I had this like really profound meditation. Just sat in the sun for like an hour. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. That was something else. And that was it for a while. And then she was building uh, a new business. And I saw that, uh, yeah, she was building things. Her mom was helping her. And so I kind of you know, put up my hand and said, hey, you know, if you need any help with this, it looks like it's a cool space. She was like, yeah, maybe we can like do events or something in the space because um, I had done some events in the community. And so she kind of invited me over because uh, this business was at her house. And she like scheduled me in because at the time she was a hairstylist. So she like gave me an appointment time. I showed up. She showed me the space. And this is where the story gets pretty cool. So I, I, won't, I won't give the full thing, but this, this is an important part. So I show up, she's showing me, you know, and she said, well, I think we need to get all the healers together. And this is how we could maybe do it and we can use this space. This is where the remembrance kind of started. And we just started going back and forth of like, well, why we're here, what we want to do. And it all was super aligned. Then I felt really weird. So this gets into this intuitive piece. I felt really weird. I felt, you know, you can get those like goosebumps. And then it's really hard to describe this feeling but all of a sudden, I mentioned that my mom passed away when I was younger. All of a sudden, I kind of just felt like my mom was there, which is not a common thing at all. Like, that's, this is not an experience that I've had ever before. And so Grace seemed pretty open-minded, and I, I felt like just speaking my mind that day. And I said, I, I know this is really weird, but I feel like, yeah, my mom's energy is here or something. I don't know. That's probably weird. And she didn't think it was weird at all. Uh, now that I know Grace, and uh, that, that, that of course makes sense. And she responded by saying, well, can I, can I touch your head? Because she does energy work. So she, and she does, um, she does Reiki, and she had this thing called uh, polyrhythmic cranial therapy. And so she put me in her chair. She did some work on my head, and tears are just streaming down my face. She's crying. I'm crying. And then she had another client come, and she's like, all right, see you later. And it's like, what is happening? I don't understand. <laughs> so I'm crying. My mom's energy is coming in. And I'm feeling great. And, and then I just, we just kind of kept talking for a little bit. And I went away for the summer. I went back to Ontario. We were talking, talking, talking. And then we came back. And we finally got together and met up. And we had this, like, I didn't know it was a date, but it kind of turned into a date. And there was just like this amazing experience where everywhere we went, everything was divinely orchestrated. We got the best table in the restaurant and we got this VIP seating area for the show that we went to afterwards and all these amazing things. 
And that, that night, we had this moment of remembrance. It's so hard to put into words and so hard to describe, but at that, after that moment, it's like, oh yeah, we're getting married, we're having kids, we're doing, like, it was just like, came in like an avalanche. Um, so that was that was loosely how we, we met each other and how our, our relationship began. Amazing. That's, that's, that's such a great story. And it's like, you know what? It makes sense because it's like if, if you're somebody that believes in reincarnation, which I, I imagine all of us do, and that becomes a very tangible reality for most people in the spiritual community, it makes sense that we would come across people that we've worked with before. Mm-hmm. Barbara Mersiniak has this book called Bringers of the Dawn where she talks about like we come into this this life here on earth in tribes mm-hmm. and multiple times to learn whatever it is that we have to learn, whether it's karmic or whether that's through relationships. And we somehow... Uh, sometimes choose whether to be somebody's partner, whether to be somebody's brother, sister, like you say, family. I've come across people like that that have given me that feeling. Jenna is one of those people. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I, I, she may have been a sister in a past life because she definitely feels like a sister to me now. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is uh, something that psychics have validated for us many, many times about the work that, about the affiliation that we have. And we just sort of serendipitously met in 2015. You know, we were friends for a long period of time and it wasn't until like three or four, five years later, we decided to do a podcast together. And all of a sudden that connection that we had makes sense. And Mm -hmm. that familiarity becomes even more deeper as we get to know each other, but also as we get into this work and as Jen starts to go deeper into her spiritual practice. So I feel like that, that connection that we have with people that we've seen before or have some familiar with, I think it's like a very real thing. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a, a twin flame, you know, non-platonic relationship. It can be a platonic relationship too. Yeah. Or it could be a same sex relationship. I had, um, on this podcast, actually the same sense of remembrance with grace, um, during our show, you know, yeah. um, and it's, it's really cool whenever that happens. It's a, it's a shared experience for both people. And that's how you, you kind of validate each other, right? You know, it's like, I don't even know this person. They're a complete stranger, but why do I feel so connected to you? Yeah. Jen talked to me after the podcast and she was just like, she was a little, she, she got a little emotional. I know that Grace got a little emotional too, but Grace had that, had a reflection on the pod where she was talking about the feeling of a, a soul tribe, you know, and, and you being included in this as well, because, you know, in, in the way that you communicate your message and the way that you uh, see your work is very much aligned with how we go about doing our business too. And just the fact that we all sort of synchronize together and we, we met. And this is the thing that always kind of is really, really crazy to me because there are seven, eight billion people in the world. It, it, when you think of, think of the, the complexity and the magnitude of that, it makes almost every interaction that you have with every person a miracle. We can decide to take one step to the left one day and one step to the right and all of this maybe would have never happened. So the fact that like throughout the time that we've existed in the universe and the time we've been alive in this life for us to come right in this exact moment right now where all three of us are talking, having a conversation about God and spirit is crazy. It's fucking crazy when I think about it. It is. And that speaks to a lot of what you're talking about, about that there seems intention behind it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with that, that concept of, of soul tribes or, you know, coming in and having this, the shared experience and people playing different roles and, yeah, and I would definitely recognize that in in the two of you. That yeah, it feels very much like you're you're doing what you're you're meant to be doing, alongside each other. You know, talking about how things feel in the body, it's a full body yes to observe it and to be part of it. So I'm just really grateful that you that the two of you found each other and had the courage to to do something together like this. It's it's actually quite amazing. And yeah, Eric, as you're saying, it is. A miracle. Oh, you hear that, Jen? You hear yeah, that, Jen? I know. Jen? I know. It made me a little teary-eyed. I'm oh, like, oh, virtual hugs, virtual <laughs> hugs, virtual pair of hands. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was really kind. So this is way off topic, but I wanted to touch on this because I saw it on your Instagram and I thought it was really, really interesting. And this is like way backtrack when we were talking about violence and, and other things as squid games. Mm. So oh, yeah. I got really fucking into squid games, like Jen, really, really into it. Like I Jen. binged that shit. I did. <laughs> I did. Jen, seriously? I did. I Jen. know. But Jen. yeah, I know, Jen, I know, and it and it was hard because they put like American voices that. on on Asian people, and that was super fucking weird. And then the you know the timing was really off. I don't know, just the whole thing was weird. You but know, yeah. um, you you know how many people have tried to convince me to watch that show, and I just refuse to watch it, Jen. It's too yeah, much. It's too it much. is. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's pretty intense. Um, and after I finished it, I found myself feeling like very dirty if that makes sense, like I needed to take a shower. I was like, no. that show fucking sucked. <laughs> like, that was <laughs> terrible. I feel like terrible about myself, you know, um, for, for being engaged and for, it's like, I, I don't know. What was it? it was was it like a relevant, up. was it like a cultural relevance thing? Because there's so many people, I get it, that watch it. And you, you know, you're like that one person by the, the water fountain at work that can have a conversation with your cronies because of the show not being able to watch the show. Is that why you started watching it or you just had some curiosity about it? No, I just had some curiosity. And actually the first time I tried to watch it, um, I couldn't and I ended up turning it off. And then I tried again because there was so much hype around it. After reading your Instagram and you were talking about the parallel with the worship of money and the desensitization to death and violence. And um, I have a very similar parallel in my life because I'm also a nurse and um, working in the hospital, I became very desensitized to death. Um, but not in a violent way, just in a, you know, like a part of life, like I don't even think about it anymore type of way. Um, but also where I found myself like being a little less caring, you know, um, as the years kind of droned on, you know, less caring about people and their experience. Right. So, um, I just thought, I, I don't know, reading your post was, was really interesting about, uh, just talking about that, like desensitization to death and, um, with, with so much violence in that show. I mean, it was like pretty gory. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's really intense. And, um, I think it's, yeah, it's such an interesting mirror or snapshot of, of a piece of the collective right now, or maybe the shadow of the collective and why you know grace and i typically don't consume content like that because that really does have an effect on your on your vibrational level it does but we were called to watch it for some reason we we heard about it and then we saw like all the signs of squids everywhere like okay we got to watch this thing and once i realized what it was I knew that I had to, to watch the whole thing because there was something there for me to understand, which is the contrast of every, you know, all the stuff we talk about of love, light, and the new earth, and the contrast of that is the possibility of what, are we, what might happen if we don't change. Mm-hmm. And a concept that I've really been playing around with a lot recently is that the height of a tree's branches are limited by the depths of its roots. And the work of roots digging deep into the ground where it's dark there's no light and it's wet and there's bugs it's not fun work that's the deep soul work and we mostly don't want to do it we mostly want to we mostly just want the tree branches up in the sun and for me anyways the experience was i there's something for me to understand here and you know what's happened in the past two years 
I think has been a, a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. And, and the blessing is people are thinking about their life and like, oh, okay, there's a thing that's happened in the world and, and people have passed away. Okay, now they're thinking about their mortality. And maybe they spent more time with their family and that's, that's amazing. I think a lot of people are shifting their lives there. And the mm -hmm. contrast to that is people you know, flick on the news and they're like, oh, only this many thousand people died today. That's way better than, you know, a couple more thousand than that. And just completely forgetting the experience of all the people that are behind those numbers. Um, so yeah, Eric, I, I'm, I'm right there with you that it's like an intense show, intense energy, and it's not something that I normally want to consume, but yeah, it just, it just felt like for some reason I had to, to understand it for what I need to be doing right now. Yeah. yeah. And I know, you know that like, the way, the way, the way that it, we, we, we talk about these things, we've all subject ourselves to something like this before, mm -hmm. right? As much as we don't want to, because if we're a part of the world that we're in, Sometimes we can't help it. We're like, we're a part of a culture that sort of is, like you say, desensitized to these type of themes. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about being the problem. And uh, it reminds me of like the Buddha and sort of Mara, like Buddha underneath the Bodhi tree, when like Mara comes and tempts him with all this crazy shit and violence and all this other scary stuff, I think is one of those things. And to remain unfazed by that, not by a resistance, but from an acknowledging that you know, in life, you have both of these polarities that exist and that light and that dark is there and it's neither good or bad. It's just what you choose to do it, do with it. And like you said, I think it's a, a reflection of what, what can potentially happen if we kind of remain unchecked. And it reminds me of this quote by Marianne Williamson, where she says that it's true in America that we want both. We don't want violence, but neither do we want to dedicate ourselves to a nonviolent society. Mm -hmm. If we aren't fully dedicated to peace, we're constantly going to be at war. And that's the thing is you go to any, any family, they want peace, right? They'll say that they want peace, they want to be happy, but they'll go and watch a show that's 100% violent. And somehow that's not factored into that sort of wanting that they want for that type of world. And I think that kind of speaks to a disconnect that we have, a lack of integration with love, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there was a teaching in there though, you know, I, so the guy that ended up actually winning, you know, sp spared spoiler his, alert. yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yes. If you haven't seen it, um, oh, Jen. you know, sp spared his cousin, you know, and, uh, at, at the very end, he realized like, Hey, maybe money isn't everything. I'm not going to kill, you know, my cousin that I have this, uh, this longstanding relationship with. So, um, the cousin ends up killing himself. The guy wins the money and never spends a dollar. You know, so he walks around just feeling very empty inside because money isn't everything, right? So I, there was a secondary message in there. Um, but another thing that I kind of saw in here that I thought was really odd is um, how, they, how they portrayed these people with gambling addictions as being weak, worthless, or not intelligent, um, which is never, none of those people were unintelligent, right? Um, but they were kind of portrayed as being people that just weren't really that smart. And everyone that I know in my life and in past years that has suffered from addiction are not, it's not that they're not intelligent or um, weak. It's that they're wounded. You know, it, usually those people are highly intelligent. It's just, they have major unresolved trauma and major deep wounds um, that they're trying to numb. So, and not, you know, really dealing with. So anyway, that was just kind of my final thought on Squid Game, but kind of yeah, speaks that to like the power of despair, you know, like what people will do when they over-identify with maybe certain uh, realms of conditioning that they have in their mind of what it is that they need that will make them happy, and maybe yeah. a complete loss of awareness of spirit and self. Maybe like what Alexander's talking about, just that 
quality of beingness that's enough, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think too another element of that is that that all of these these people had you know this crushing weight of debt on them, and yeah. they found ways to cope with it, and they put up these these barriers that are these shells, and sometimes that that shell that exterior was so thick that they couldn't see the brutal violence that was right in front of them. Yeah. And Jen, I love what you said about nursing because I think you know uh, my mom was a nurse and my sister's a nurse. And um, there is this, you know, you're around pain and suffering and death so much that I think a lot of nurses do have to develop a pretty thick shell to protect their light. But I could take any of them and I could take you and I could just see right now that, you know, your, your heart is just massive and you care about every single person and, and that's always there and shining. And sometimes as humans, we need to protect ourselves. Um, from the the extreme energies and situations that we might encounter in life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something weird happens um, uh, as the years kind of drone on is you just become, uh, it, it's like you're having an out-of-body experience. It's weird. It's like you don't process those emotions. It's like so traumatic that it just stops registering as trauma. It's just like numbness. And when I started to get to that point, I was like, okay, I need to find a new career. This like shit's not right. You know, because that started to bubble over into my relationships too, into my like interpersonal relationships outside of work. So I don't know. Um, I, something I, to be aware of. I kind of have like a different perspective when it comes to that because um, I had worked in hospice for a long time as uh, more of like a doula type of person. So I was familiar with that whole idea of death, and that came from a completely different story of a near death experience that I had. So that that caused me to get into you know, end of life type of studies and work. So I worked in hospice and I was around a lot of patients that were old that were passing away. I think that came as a lesson and a teaching to me because I had a fear of death for a very, very long time. And it wasn't until I had that near-death experience that completely freed me from this fear because then I, I realized after experiencing what that's about that there's a beauty behind this, that there's a, a grace behind this and that source is behind this and that death is an absolutely natural process and that is exactly the same as life in a lot of ways, because we talk about polarity, life and death are the exact same function. And so for me, when it came to experiencing death, the old me would have seen it in a probably a scary way. But the way that I see it now, when I would sit with these patients is, of course, this isn't the only life that they live. And maybe some people come into life with very specific goals and specific work. And sometimes it's time for them to leave prematurely, maybe for some people, or maybe sometimes people die as a way to teach us a lesson about something. There's so many different sort of like uh, parallels and things that are happening in life that are, you know, coinciding with other lives that are out there. So for me, when I think of death, I think of it as like a natural and beautiful thing. Yeah. My relationship to death is much different now than it used to be. One thing that that reminds me of quickly is that um, something that Aubrey Marcus was talking about in his one of his most recent um, ceremonies with ayahuasca is that he felt like a 100 watt bulb, light bulb with... 10,000 watts running through it is that he didn't have the phys in his physical body he didn't have the capacity to hold that experience and you know I, I wonder people that are around a lot of things that they perceive to be traumatic if they if they feel like that like this vessel literally can't hold this experience so I oh, need yeah. to, to shut off from it 
Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've experienced uh, something like that before um, when it comes to um, plant medicine type of experiences where sometimes you just are filled with so much light and that light permeates your body and, and it starts pushing and in, in seeping into the dark corners of maybe shadows that you haven't reached out to in such a long period of time. You get to this point where you almost like feel like you're going to explode. Maybe some people experience anxiety at this point, but you know, sometimes it happens in those experiences where you feel like your uh, your spirit is fitting into this sort of tight shoe that is your body, and it can <laughs> be shoe. uncomfortable. That's a good analogy. <laughs> uncomfortable because we're we're limited to the senses, right? We're limited to what we can taste, see, sense, and smell, and things like mm-hmm. that. But the the spirit in those sort of psychedelic realms is so vast. When you come back into your body and you realize that the space that you're operating in is limited. It's uh, something that I think requires a lot of integration because sometimes I feel like as I expand throughout my practice and as my spirit sort of expands outwards, sometimes it becomes even more difficult to be human. So I think it's just about trying to establish some level of balance and acceptance with both of those things kind of working together, you know, the body and the mind. Yeah, I am the divine. And at the same time, I am a human with limitations. I'm just going to make not a profound comment you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) the tight shoe analogy. And it made me think of my girlfriend. She was referring to the human body as a, as a meat spacesuit. Oh yeah. And it cracked me up. I was like a meat spacesuit. I was like, that's so gross, but funny at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. I think it's, I think it's also responsible for a lot of the reasons why we don't, we don't remember shit when we come here, you know? We have all of our whole lineage and our ancestry kind of running through our veins, but when we're born here, somehow we lose all of that. Yeah. And then the whole maybe the whole process in the game is sort of slowly remembering all of these things, including twin flames and, and, and partners and things like that. Because as I get older, I'm starting to remember more than I ever knew, of course, when I was younger. And it wasn't a learning, it was just more of like a relearning type, a relearning type of experience, you know? Yeah, I resonate with that. Yeah, so this well, is all just really <laughs> we explored so many different things. Yeah, we did it, man. And we, we did it through it all. Because Alexander, you're such a complex fellow and you just yeah. know a lot about so many different things. And we, we me and Jen talked about um, the work prior to the podcast and how we were afraid that we weren't going to have enough time to cover everything because, you know, you, you talk about so many different things, including, you know, relationships and men's work and abundance and money and coaching. And I think this is all interwoven into your work and you can definitely, definitely yeah. um, see that. So I appreciate you taking some time to come onto our podcast. And this is uh, one question that we typically ask all of our guests, a sort of departing message, the way that you leave your legacy on this episode in this podcast. If there's anything that you want to share with our audience, what would that be? I think that the best thing people can do is take a breath and let your consciousness ride down from your head to your heart like an elevator and just listen to what it has to say. If people can do that, get connected to their heart and listen to what it has to say, I think I think their whole life changes. Um, develop that relationship with your with your little travel buddy. That's how I feel about my heart. It's like we're we're going on this this ride together, and and my heart's really you know holding the compass a lot of the time and, and helping to to course correct. Your travel buddy, I like that. You're like yeah, yeah that's cute. Buddy. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. We've got a few things we want to go over before we uh, before we let you go. So there's a few places that you could find Alexander's work. You can find him on Instagram at uh, Alexander. That's two X's, and that's Alexander.ohm. And then there's, uh, I think it was Facebook.com also too under the same name, Alexander.ohm on Facebook. 
And uh, you have uh, some, maybe some courses that you have coming up that you want to talk about uh, where people can maybe subscribe online and um, participate in that with you. Yeah. So um, there's two main programs that I run. One's called the Intuitive Business Starter Pack. So that's essentially everything that you need to go from zero to having a business, making it from your heart. That's a lot of people that are maybe their employees right now and they want to start their first business. Um, and I'll do a, a larger launch around that probably in the new year. And then I have the uh, Six Figure Wolf Pack, which I run with a, with a business partner. And we just finished the first round of that. And it's a smaller, intimate group, um, a little bit more of a high-level atmosphere for people that are already established and they're looking to scale to um, a number of, you know, being a six-figure entrepreneur, but doing that with a lot of authenticity, a lot of integrity, and, and doing that from their heart. So still maintaining that intuitive, spiritual side as they find new levels of success uh, on the monetary side in business. I love that. Thank you um, so much for sharing that. We'll put in, put in some links also in the, the description of the episode that you can find to, to reach out to Alexander directly. And again, thank you so much for coming on our show, sharing your wisdom with us, your wealth of knowledge. We'd love to have you on again. And of course, we're going to keep in contact with you through your journeys up there in Puerto Vallarta. I have a hard, it's always such a hard time saying Puerto Vallarta, Jen. Yeah. Did I say it right? I said that right, right? Puerto Vallarta? Is Puerto, that right? Can you say it three oh, times God, fast? I don't know. I'm not... No. You, you no. can just say PV. Most PV. people know. PV. Yeah. Yeah. There PV. you go. That works. Yeah. Yeah. That keep works. us posted on what's going on up there. You guys are doing good things. It's a really beautiful space. I think that'd be the best place for you guys to do your work. Absolutely. Definitely will. And we're yeah. bringing you back. We want the full the full lowdown on the Joe Dispenza thing. I got to hear about it firsthand. Yeah. Grace and I are going to have a lot to bring back after 10 days of Apostin and then seven days of Joe Dispenza. Yeah. We're so going to cool. have... Hey, something to bring you know back. What? I got an idea. We can we can do a uh, an episode with both of them, Jen. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes. That's the plan. Okay. Yeah. We're bringing you both we'll, back. We'll make it happen. Thank you. Thank you so All much right. again for uh, sharing space with us, Alexander. Yeah. Um, it was Eric, lovely. Thank you for coming. Eric, Jen, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're both uh, a brother and a sister for sure. Oh, virtual hugs, <laughs> virtual high fives, virtual prayer hands. <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. Uh, you can find our episodes on all the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play. If you're listening to this, you probably already have one. Uh, if you're interested in re- listening to Grace's episode, who is uh, Alexander's partner, it's episode 59, Embracing the Goddess. Uh, if you guys go into the description of the podcast that you're um, listening to, you can also find the link to the YouTube video if you want to see us talking to each other in real life on screen. And then um, like and subscribe, do all the things. Uh, give Alexander a follow as well as a like and um, write, a, write a review. Leave us a comment. We always love uh, to hear your feedback and follow us on Instagram. So until then, namaste, friends. Namaste. Thank you, Alexander. <laughs>